Well, you can open up your Bibles one last time to Mark chapter 1. This morning we come to the very end of the first chapter. We'll finish it out. And we see a story that's really all about trading places. I think everyone here loves a good trading places story. There have been many of them over the years. They're all pretty much the same. You have someone who's poor or impoverished, and one way or another they find themselves trading places with someone who's rich or powerful. And these stories resonate with us because it seems like everyone secretly wishes they could be royal for a day. The original trading places story, though, takes place a couple hundred years ago. The Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain. All the other stories that we see remade countless times today, they originally traced their uh, their storyline back to this, The Prince and the Pauper. It's a tale of two boys. One, Tom Canty, is extremely poor, living in the slums of one of London's, London's poorest neighborhoods. His father forces him to beg daily, and if he ever comes home empty-handed, his father beats him. This leads to Tom to dream of a better life, and he finds himself outside of the palace gates looking at the prince play, Prince Edward, son of King Henry VIII. A soldier comes, though, and he beats Tom and removes him, but the prince sees him and invites him in. And the two boys are fascinated by one another, Tom at the luxury and Prince Edward at his freedom. Amazingly, they look remarkably similar. And they decide to to change clothes with one another just to see what it would look like, what it would feel like to be in the other's shoes. And they look nearly identical. At this point, though, the soldier, or rather the prince, sees that the soldier has bruised Tom. And so he marches out to rebuke the soldier, forgetting that he is now dressed like a beggar. So he begins to rebuke the guard and yell at him. But the guard takes him and pushes him out of the gates, thinking him to be the beggar. Prince Edward proclaims that he is the Prince of Wales. But the crowd mocks him, they beat him, and they drive him out into the streets. He finds himself wandering through London aimlessly. Eventually he is found, though, by Tom's father, who drags him home. All the, all the while, he's, he continues to claim that he is the Prince of Wales, but everyone mocks him. And then later, Tom's father beats him because he came home empty-handed. Meanwhile, Tom is enjoying life as the prince. But as the royal family starts to talk to him, they're very confused by his behavior and his speech. And pretty soon, word quickly spreads that the prince has gone mad. The king decrees that no one talk about the prince's madness because the heir apparent must be seen as competent. Tom blunders through a few royal dinners. And just as he's starting to get a feel for royal life, shocking news strikes. King Henry VIII is dead. And so all of a sudden, Tom, who's really a pauper, masquerading as the prince, is now made king of England. Meanwhile, life for the real prince is not that great. Prince Edward is beaten, manipulated, even imprisoned for a little while. But through all of his misfortunes, he comes to learn just how hard life is for people in the kingdom. He gets a first-hand look at the injustices that go on all the time. Well, the day comes for the coronation of this new king. It's a public ceremony. And just before the crown is placed on Tom's head, the real prince jumps forward from the crowd, claiming that he is the real king. Tom is actually relieved he's been looking for a way out. And he affirms the truth. Everyone is confused, though, but through a series of tests, they confirm what the boys are saying. Eventually, Prince Edward proves his position by being able to locate the official seal of England. And so he retakes his place on the throne as the new king of England. But his eyes have been opened by the experience. The pauper Edward is rewarded and made Earl of Kent. His family is taken care of, and the new king goes about addressing all of the injustices of the land. It is the truly classic trading places story, and it's been remade countless times even today. And it's no wonder this story was such a success when it first came out, and it's been remade so many times, because 
it resonates. People identify with, most people, Tom, the pauper, and wouldn't it be nice overnight to be rich, to be king for a day? Even though you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, we all have that desire to be significant overnight. But there is, of course, an even earlier trading places story than this, one that is even more significant. And it's not just a story. In a real sense, Jesus came to earth to trade places with us. Dwelling forever in the perfect Godhead, the second member of the Trinity emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. That's what Jesus did. But on that cross, that death on the cross, that's the death that we should have died. That is the penalty that we should have paid. We should be paying for our own sins, being separated from God forever. But Jesus bore that judgment. And it doesn't stop there, though. Because in exchange, not only did Jesus take our place in that judgment, but he also gave to us his riches, his royalty, his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5:21 says this, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's it. It's this great exchange, this great trading of places. Or it's like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich, spiritually speaking, of course. Just think about what happens now. We die finding eternal life with God and blessing, instead of eternal separation from God and judgment. It's not something we deserve, though. We don't actually belong there. We shouldn't get that. But we are there because Jesus has traded places with us. He took our sin. He gave us his righteousness. It is the ultimate trading places story. And as I mentioned, as we finish Mark chapter 1 this morning we find really a perfect picture of this. Ultimately, it was what Jesus did on the cross that allowed this great exchange to take place. But all throughout his ministry, he prefigured this trade that was to come. During his time on earth, he assumed man's sin and sickness and exchanged them for health and forgiveness. And perhaps this exchange is nowhere better previewed than our passage here, than when Jesus touches a leper. Back then, that was unthinkable. You never touch a leper. They are the untouchable. If you touch them, you become unclean. But with Jesus, something something else happens. Something unexpected happens. He touches this leper. You expect the leper to defile Jesus, but instead, Jesus cleanses the leper, and a trade takes place. And there's a lot more to see here, and we want to begin now by by reading our passage together. So join me as we read now Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Mark chapter 1, look at verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, 
I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas. And they were coming to him from everywhere. If you've been with us for the past few weeks, you know where we are here. Jesus is just gearing up his Galilean ministry. It begins in Capernaum, which is his new home base. That's his new launching point. And he has just performed his first huge healing crusade, if you want to call it that. People, they began to rush to him from everywhere, wanting to be healed by him. However, they were only interested in the healings. That's all they want. They were seeking Jesus out as a miracle worker, but that's not what he wanted. He did not want to be seen by the people as just a miracle worker. He had a greater mission to accomplish. So he does not go back to Capernaum, back to the crowds to heal them. Instead, he moves on. Just to refresh your memory, look back at verse 38 from last week. The disciples, they're, they're coming up to him. They want him to go back to Capernaum, keep healing. But he says to them, verse 38, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And then right after that, we have our passage starting in verse 40. Now he's traveling around Galilee for a couple weeks, a couple months, we don't know, going from town to town, preaching, continuing to work wonders. Where is he now? We don't know. We don't know what city he is in. But what happens here is unforgettable. This is not his last, but it is perhaps his first encounter with a leper. This likely is his first encounter with a leper. And it's a big deal. Everyone believed that the healing of a leper was something that only God could do. And so this miracle really stands out on its own in a, in a big way. This healing was big. And what it signified was even bigger. And so let's begin to unpack this, this passage now. I'll give you an outline just to follow along. And we begin in verse 40 with, with this. Number one, the cry. The cry. Look at verse 40 one more time. A leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Now to get started here, I've got to tell you a little bit about this disease, leprosy. So you really can, I want you to feel what's being said here in verse 40. Now I'm sure you've all heard of the disease, leprosy, especially if you read the Bible, you know about it. A lot of people, because of that, however, they think it's an ancient disease, but it's not. Millions today are still affected by leprosy around the world. And each year, 250,000 new cases are discovered. There are still thousands of leper colonies in India, China, South America, and Africa. The disease today is called Hansen's disease. It's actually a slow-growing bacterial infection that affects the skin and the nervous system. Starts off as a rash that discolors the skin, leads to bumps and abrasions. Lesions often form on the skin. It can lead to real disfigurement. Leprosy also attacks the nerve endings. And that, that's the really bad part. That's the bad part. If you've seen a leprosy patient, you realize that most of them are missing their fingers, their toes, their hands, and their feet. Their, their fingers and toes are just curled or, or missing or, 
or rubbed down. It's like all they have are stumps and nubs on their extremities. It's terrible. It might lead you to believe, though, that leprosy causes your hands and your feet to fall off. But that is not true. What actually happens is that a person loses the ability to feel in their arms and in their legs. And that includes pain, which is the body's natural warning system. So what ends up happening is that people with leprosy over time, they end up naturally injuring themselves and they don't even know it. And then that injury gets infected and they don't even know it. And this happens over and over again, repeated injury and infection, injury and infection. And pretty soon, people can become very deformed. I mean, just imagine washing your face with scalding hot water and you don't even realize the damage that it's doing. Or working out in the field barefoot for hours, not realizing your feet are being torn to shreds. Or working in a factory not realizing your hand has just been completely crushed in the machine. You don't even know it. This is especially bad in third world countries. It's really just a matter of time before people with leprosy start to get deformed. And it gets worse. Leprosy can affect the nerves in your eyes where you lose the blinking reflex. You can't blink. This leads to, as you can imagine, dryness, but then ulceration and then blindness. Many leprosy sufferers, their eyes are just completely glazed over and they have lost the ability to see. Also, if the bacteria gets into your nose, your body starts to absorb all of your cartilage. And so the nose will just literally disappear. It caves in on itself. The face is covered with lesions It really is, you can imagine, a terrible disease. It's called a painless hell. And that's an appropriate description. And if this wasn't bad enough, it gets even worse. Because since ancient times, leprosy has come with a great social stigma. Lepers have always been treated like the scum of the earth. If you saw a leper today, one walked in the door, you'd probably run away. You wouldn't have to, because in reality, 95% of people are naturally immune to leprosy. 95%. Chances are you, you would never catch it. However, people are still afraid. The stigma still exists. You wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. And part of that stigma, though, comes from the Bible. In the Old Testament, Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, God gives several rules and regulations concerning leprosy for the Jews. A little bit different, though, because they use that word leprosy as an umbrella term to actually describe many skin diseases like boils, burns, itches, ringworm, scalp conditions. But the consequences of all these skin diseases was the same. Both physically and ceremonially, a person was unclean. They were separated from the population. This was done to prevent the spread of some of these diseases. But God also wanted Israel to be a picture of holiness and separation from all defilement. So lepers were excluded from the people. Leviticus chapter 13 verses 45 and 46 says this. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn. The hair of his head shall be uncovered. He shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now there was some hope, though, for if they were cured, they could be pronounced clean again by the priest and reintegrated into society. And for many people who had these other skin diseases, they naturally healed themselves over time and they were pronounced clean. But for people who had true leprosy, and they did know how to distinguish true leprosy, there was little hope because very few people were naturally cured of the disease. 
the widespread belief was that this being healed of leprosy was akin to being raised from the dead. It was that impossible. It just didn't happen. No one was cured or healed from leprosy. But we're still not quite done because it gets even worse for the leper. As time went on, as if it wasn't bad enough, the religious authorities, they started to add their own rules and regulations for treating lepers and made their lives even more miserable. The Jewish rabbis required lepers to stand 50 paces away from people at all times. If a leper entered a house, it was immediately unclean and condemned. And furthermore, if a leper entered a public place, they were forced to announce their own presence by crying out, unclean, unclean. Furthermore, the rabbis taught that leprosy was a divine punishment. It was something given by God. And only God could take it away. Which means, though, that if you got leprosy, that meant you had done something terrible to deserve it. You deserve it. You brought on yourself. You must be a huge sinner because look what God did to you. He gave you leprosy. And you must be the worst. So not only were they treated as physical freaks, but they were treated also as spiritual criminals. You get the picture. They were just totally, totally outcast from society. Now just, just personalize this here. Just imagine the personal misery of life as a leper, especially back then. I mean, one day you notice, you notice a rash on your skin and, and you, you fear what it is. So you hide it, you cover it up, you don't tell anyone. But soon this rash starts to spread and people notice. People notice, they report you. And so you're forced to come before the priest priest examines you according to the law and he finds you have leprosy. And he pronounces you right then unclean. And as a Jew, that word just sends shivers down your spine because you know what it means. You don't go home that day. Immediately you are cordoned off, quarantined. You're removed from your family, from your job from your community, you lose everything you once had and you're sent to the leper colony. And there you are forever forced to live amongst the other lepers, all of whom are wasting away. Then you start to join them. Over time, your fingers start to curl in, your toes shrink to stubs, your face is covered in lesions. Then the depth of your isolation sets in. You realize you will never touch your spouse again. You will never pick up your kids and hug them again. And to make matters worse, everywhere you go, people, they just hate you. Just, they don't know you, but they hate you. They despise you. And to add salt to the wound, anytime you enter a public place, in just great humiliation, you are forced to shout, unclean. Unclean. Your life is now a death sentence. This is pretty much as close to hell on earth as it comes. Now, I know this has been a lot of background, but hopefully you can read verse 40 again and you, you get a little bit of a deeper sense of what is going on here, the desperation of this leper. Look at verse 40 once more. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him, and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now what's happening here is rather shocking. A leper would never, never approach a rabbi. This would never do it. They feared the backlash. They feared the stigma. They feared what would happen to them. This just it was never done. This was never done. But this leper breaks all social and religious tradition. He seeks Jesus out. He finds him. Comes right up to him, right next to him, and just falls down at his feet. He plants his face in the dirt and just cries out, 
And why is he doing this? Why? It's because he has found something in Jesus that he hasn't had in a long time. And that is hope. You can imagine another scene now. This colony of lepers. They're wasting away on the outskirts of town. But soon they catch wind of these rumors that are swirling around. They hear about this man traveling through Galilee and he's healing people. Everyone. Deaf, mute, blind, crippled. Everyone is being healed by this man. And hearing these rumors, at least at least one of these lepers starts to think to himself, maybe he can heal me. Maybe he can clean my leprosy. This hope springs up within him for the first time ever. This hope turns to desperation. This desperation turns to courage. And he gets it within himself to leave the colony, to break all social norms, to enter the crowd and find Jesus. Somehow he finds him. He falls before him. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. We see here already, though, a hint of faith. He believes Jesus has the power to heal him. You can make me clean. The only thing he doubts is his willingness. But Jesus has the power and he has the willingness. Even more, he has the compassion. Secondly, I want you to observe now the compassion. We saw the cry in verse 40. Now, verse 41, notice the compassion. Verse 41. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. His first response when he saw this leper bowing before him was that of compassion. Remember, this was, this was a sorry sight before him. We don't know how bad it was, but Luke, who was a physician, tells us that this man was covered in leprosy. This was a, an advanced case. Just a pile of, of mangled flesh bowing down before him. It was no doubt a, a sad sight. Any rabbi, any Pharisee would have definitely rejected and cast out this, this leper. I mean, how dare you approach me? I am clean. You are unclean. Just just get away. They would have cast him out. They would have saw him coming. They would have never even let him get close. But Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with compassion. And this word for compassion, it's quite a word. Splagnizomai. You all know that, right? I'm sure you all knew that. It comes from the Greek word splagnon which refers to your bowels, your gut. And today we see the heart as the seat of our raw emotions, but in the ancient world they saw not your heart so much as your gut. Where do you feel emotion physically? You feel it in your gut. Even today, if you got really nervous, what do we say? You've got butterflies in your, your stomach. And it makes sense. You actually feel a lot of your emotion physically in in your stomach, in your belly. Can you imagine, by the way, if Valentine's Day were celebrated not by little pictures of hearts, but by little pictures of intestines? (laughs) It's actually more accurate. But this this splagnon, this was a heartfelt, this was a gut-felt emotion for those who are suffering which today translates into compassion or pity or sympathy. And this is just the pure response to human suffering. If you were today to see a town after it had been destroyed by a tornado, if you were a caring person, it would hit you right in your gut. You would just feel sad and compassionate and sympathetic with those who are suffering. That's this emotion. Jesus felt it. 
We see Jesus on several occasions feeling compassion for humanity. Oftentimes, he would look out at the crowd before him and he would see so many people lost, confused, desperate, hungry, sick, diseased, dying physically and spiritually. And he would have compassion on them. He would meet their need. Even though he knew many of them would reject him, he would still reach out in compassion. Like a shepherd caring for his sheep, even though he knows they don't, they don't know better. But here, here's the really shocking part. There's a scandal here in, the, in this verse. The leper, he broke all social restrictions to see Jesus. And that was scandalous enough. But what Jesus does next is even more extreme. Verse 41. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He touched him. You may think, well, what's, what's the big deal? But this is a huge deal. No one ever touched a leper. Ever. Especially a Jew especially a rabbi. You just would never touch a leper. I mean, if you touch them, you instantly become unclean. You become unclean. But Jesus himself also broke all of the social restrictions. And why? He did it to show this man his compassion. It's one thing to speak compassion, but he wanted this man to feel his compassion physically. Realize this leper had not felt the warmth of a human touch for years. When you get leprosy, you're quarantined. You're gone. And that includes your loved ones. I mean, you can maybe see your family from a distance, but you will never touch them again. And you can imagine how, how desperate they were just, just for the touch, a warm, accepting, non-judgmental touch. And Jesus reaches out and, and touches this man. This word for touch really describes laying a hold of someone, so likely he reached down and put his hand on his shoulder as he bowed before him. And this touch spoke louder than words. But Jesus didn't have to do it. He didn't have to touch him. He could have said, okay, you're healed snapped his fingers, just spoke a word, done. Didn't have to touch him. But he did. Because he wanted him to feel his willingness. I am willing. But something else happened when Jesus touched this leper. It's not just a show of compassion. I mean, if you or I were there, we could have reached down and touch this leper ourselves in a show of compassion. We could have given him a hug to show our compassion. That's it. That's all we could do. But Jesus not only laid hold of him in compassion, but also he cleansed him. He cleansed him. See now number three, the cleansing. We've seen the cry. We've seen the compassion. Number three now, the cleansing. Verse 41. Move with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Verse 42. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus had the power and he had the willingness. He said, I am willing, be cleansed. When the leper came to Jesus, and that was shocking. When Jesus reached out and touched the leper, that was more shocking. But when Jesus said, I am willing to be cleansed, and he was, that was the most shocking. Those watching were, they were all expecting Jesus to become unclean. They were wondering, is he going to catch the disease? 
But Jesus was not polluted by the leper. Instead, the leper was cleansed by Jesus. And what a transformation. Just just imagine the transformation. Immediate, total. His His hand and feet with their lost fingers and toes were immediately restored. It's like he blinked. And when his eyes opened, he saw two normal hands. He touched his face with his new hands. His nose was normal. His face was smooth. His skin was back to normal. His body straightened out. His skin cleared up. His body was full of leprosy and deformity, but now it was gone. All of it was gone. He was made new. You can just see this man who was so used to yelling, unclean, unclean, just saying to himself in shock, I'm clean. I'm clean. And finally, he was free from this burden and this plague, this, this living death. You can just imagine the joy and then the shock, the excitement. I'm clean. Clean is the operative word in this passage. You'll notice the whole way healing is never mentioned. Not once. This wasn't, you could say, a healing. It was a cleansing. Four times the word for cleansing occurs. And that's because leprosy, like I said, it's in a class all of its own. Other illnesses needed to be healed. But leprosy needed to be cleansed. When the leper, when he came to Jesus, notice, he didn't ask to be healed. He asked to be cleansed. He wanted to be made new. This is the total package. He didn't just want to be rid of the physical disease, but of the social disease as well. To be healed was one thing, but to be cleansed meant he could see his family again. He could pick up his children again. He could get a job again. Go back into society without the constant shame. That's what he wanted. That's cleansing. And that's what Jesus did for him. He healed him, yeah, but he cleansed him of this disease. But we're not quite done, though, because although Jesus did cleanse this man, society would not actually accept him back. Jewish law had an official process for lepers to be recognized as clean. And so Jesus now commands this man to go through this process. This leads us to number four, the command. Number four, the command, verse 43. Verse 43, the command. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now you may first wonder, why would Jesus tell this man to go see a priest? I mean, what does he need a priest for? Jesus just cleansed him. But in the eyes of Jewish society, still under the law, the priest needed to pronounce this man clean before he was free from all of that social stigma. According to Leviticus 14, only a priest can pronounce someone clean from leprosy. And Jesus, he upheld the law. He did. And so he tells this man, go to the priest, go through the ceremony to be declared clean. But even more than this, Jesus wanted this man to go to the priest and be pronounced clean, he says, as a testimony to them. As a testimony But just think, if the priests confirm that this man is indeed clean, they would be affirming his miraculous healing. And in turn, they would be affirming his miraculous healer. Whether they liked it or not, the priests would be forced to legitimize Jesus as a healer. One who can even cleanse a leper which was supposed to be something that only God could do. So what does this say about who Jesus is if he can cleanse a leper? 
In fact, the cleansing of lepers was a very distinct sign of the Messiah. Do you remember this? Do you remember when the disciples of John the Baptist, they came up to Jesus and they said, hey, are you the Messiah or not? I mean, are you the one? Remember that? Remember what he said back to them? Jesus said this, Matthew 11:5. He told them his response. The blind receive sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And that's it. That's all he said. In other words, his response was, look, I do what the Messiah does. And I say what the Messiah says. So what do you think? He was the Messiah. And the cleansing of lepers is a very important sign of this. So inadvertently, the priests of Israel, they would be declaring Jesus as the Messiah by confirming that this man was clean, whether they liked it or not. But there's also a warning in these verses, a stern warning coming in the form of a command. After this healing, Jesus sent the man away and he additionally refrained him from saying anything to anyone. He said, don't tell anyone about this. Don't speak to anyone. Just go to the priest and be done. And you think, well, why? Why would Jesus say that? As we learned last week, the people, they were already starting to misclassify Jesus as just a miracle worker. And that's it. The frenzy was building over his ability to heal. And the people were seeking him out, but that, that's it. That's all they wanted from him, just to be healed. And this actually impeded his mission because that's not what he came to do. He did not come just to heal. He had a greater mission. He had to go to the cross The miracles displayed his power, but that alone was not his purpose. So he discouraged the leper from publicizing this because it would only add to this misplaced frenzy. I mean, realize this. Jesus never sought out sick people. Did you know that? Do you realize that? He never sought out sick people. They always came to him. When they did, Jesus felt compassion on them. And he healed them. He always met their need. But he never sought them out. In fact, afterward, he rebuked them for looking for him only for miracles. For example, remember when Jesus was confronted with this huge, hungry crowd. And where are they going to get food? So he looked out at the crowd. He felt compassion on them. And he, he fed them. He multiplied the bread and the fish. He fed them all. Miracle. But afterward, what did he say? He then rebuked them for coming to him only for the food. He had a greater mission and purpose, and he did not want people to confuse that. So he commands this leper not to tell people, but just go to the priest. But things do not go as planned. We finish up now, verse 45, with the conclusion. We've seen the cry, the compassion, the cleansing, the command, finally the conclusion, verse 45. But he, the leper, went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. In a sense, we get this We get his response. I mean, he was so overwhelmed by joy and gratitude and amazement. He just, he couldn't help but tell people. I mean, how could you keep your mouth shut after something like that? And in a way, this prefigures salvation. When someone is saved, when you are truly born again by God, you can't help but tell people about it. Even if someone commands you not to tell, you have to speak. So in in a way, we understand his response. We, We get it. He just couldn't help but tell people. His amazement made him overlook the fact that he was disobeying the one who had just miraculously healed him. And nevertheless, he does disobey. He tells everyone, and the result is that the fervor about Jesus reaches a whole new level. I mean, it's one thing to heal people. 
It's one thing to cast out demons, but to cleanse a leper. Remember, that, that was its own deal. That was a, a class by itself. And so we see that after this, the popularity of Jesus reaches new heights. And the result, it says, is that he could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed out in the unpopulated areas, the wilderness. Of course, he could have gone to the cities if he wanted to, but he didn't want to be swamped by people seeking him for the wrong reasons, which impeded his real mission. So he stayed out in the wilderness. And ironically, this story ends with a real role reversal. If you look closely, if you pick up on it, you'll actually see here that at the end, Jesus and the leper have traded places. Did you see it? How did this story begin? Jesus was free to go where he pleased, and the leper was confined to the desolate places. Now, the leper is free, and Jesus is confined to the desolate places. At first, Jesus was surrounded by people. The leper was in isolation. Now, Jesus is in isolation, and the leper is surrounded by people. The leper leaves the wilderness to return to society. Now, Jesus leaves society and goes to the wilderness. They have traded places. Jesus now is the outcast. And this switch... It's not by accident. And Mark includes this not by accident. This is a picture. Now, of course, we're not doubting that this actually took place, but just realize that there's a greater picture here, a picture of trading places. You have to understand that all of Christ's miracles were also pictures of spiritual truths. And this is intentional. I'm not just embellishing this or making this up. I'll give you an example. Again, when Jesus multiplied the bread, this amazing miracle. But what did he say right after that? He taught the people and he said, look, I am what? I am the bread. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. You see, the miracles, they were real, of course, but they were also object lessons. They were object lessons teaching people something about man and something about Jesus. Jesus cures a blind man. So what do you think he can do for the person who is spiritually blind? Jesus raises the dead. So what do you think he can do for the one who is spiritually dead? Jesus cleanses the leper. So what do you think he can do for the one who is spiritually a leper? That's the point. I hope you get this this object lesson that is behind this, and it leads to a powerful lesson. Where first, as you reflect on this story, I hope you realize something. You're the leper. You are the leper. Everyone is just like this leper, only not everyone knows it. But do you have any idea just how unclean you are before God? It's like it says in Romans 3, all are under sin. There is none righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or how about this? Isaiah 64, verse 6. I mean, get this verse. Isaiah 64, verse 6, where he says, All of us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. To God, because of your sin, you're like the leper. You are unclean. And God cannot accept into his holy presence those who are unclean. I mean, do you realize this? Are you under the illusion that that you're a good person? You think to yourself, well, how could God really reject me? I mean, I'm a nice guy. I'm a pretty good. I don't do stuff that that's bad. But you've got another thing coming. They realize before God, your best is like a filthy rag. Your entire self is defiled because of sin. And you have sinned a lot. 
Some people get so offended when they hear about their own depravity. I mean, how dare you say I'm such a bad person? I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm not that bad. That is just the type of self-righteous pride that keeps people out of the kingdom of heaven. First, you have to realize you're, you're the leper. Because then you can realize Jesus is the cleanser. If he can do this with the, the physical leper, what do you think he can do for the spiritual leper? He and he alone can cleanse you, and cleansing is what you need. You need to be cleansed. But you may ask, how? How can Jesus cleanse you? I mean, look, God is holy, he's righteous, and he can't just look the other way when it comes to our sin. He can't. I mean, we've done the crime. We must do the time, so to speak. I mean, there's no way around that. We have sinned. And this brings the just wrath of God. So how can Jesus do anything for us? Well, there's only one way. And the answer is by trading places with us. It's true that God cannot look the other way when it comes to all of your sin. He can't. Someone's got to pay. But Jesus came to trade places with us and to pay for us. Remember this, the Jewish law, God's law, was powerless to save. There was no hope for the leper in the law. All the law could do was condemn people and curse people. Could not help them. But Jesus came to be the curse for us. Realize that? Listen to this, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. He took your curse for you. You know, when Jesus touched that leper, according to the law, he did become unclean. He did. He was unclean. But that's why he came. That's the whole point. That's the only way. The only way for us to be made clean is for someone first to take away our uncleanness. And Jesus did that. The only one who could do that. The perfect Holy One of God had to become like sin so that we might be clean. Again, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. On our behalf. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus became the leper. He became like the spiritual leper before God, disfigured before God, so to speak, took on the disease and the defilement of sin. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He, Jesus, was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Sounds like a spiritual leper. And why did he do this? Well, Isaiah 53, down to verse 11. My servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquity. He poured out himself to death. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many. He interceded for the transgressors. This is it. This is the great exchange. This is the ultimate trading places story. Your sin on him. His righteousness on you. It's the only way. It is your only hope. And my hope is now you're only wondering one thing, perhaps, and that is, how do I get that trade? How, how can I get that? Hopefully you want this, and it calls for the right response. We know God, God is sovereign in salvation. We know that. We don't know his will. 
But he calls himself to rightly respond to Jesus. That's all we got to worry about. How are we called to respond? What is the right response? And the answer, you just need to respond like the leper. Be like this leper. First, see your sin. This leper was under no illusion of good health. He knew he was out of options. He was a dead man walking. He was desperate. And likewise, do you really see the depths of your own depravity before God? I mean, do you get it? Do you see your sin? That you have truly offended a righteous and holy God. You've sinned. You've sinned a lot. And you know what? You deserve judgment. Does this break you? You're broken over your sin. Heartbroken. You just and you can't do anything about it. You feel helpless. Something is wrong inside of you. There's, you have a heart problem and you, you can't fix it. Nobody can fix it. Nothing can change it. You're unclean and you know it. And you're broken over it. And I'll tell you this. Truly, you cannot be saved apart from this realization. You can't. This is what separates a lot of true Christians from a lot of false Christians. Some people say they believe in Jesus because, you know, their family does or it's tradition or it's fire insurance. It's like, I don't want to go to hell. So, yeah, I'll believe in this Jesus guy. I'll even go to church. But why are you really going to Jesus? The right motive is because you see your sin and you're broken over it. You see your offense before God. And you get it. You, you get, you, you're done. You are a dead man walking. Sin has killed you. And if you're already dead, and if you die this way, you'll be dead and doomed. You're unclean. So first, you see your sin. Then, only then, can you truly see the Savior. That's what you do second. You see the Savior. Like the leper, you're humble, you're broken, you're bowing down before him. And what do you do? There's only one thing you can do. You just cry out. You just cry out. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And that's still true. We can't make God do anything. It's up to his sovereign will. We, we can't control that. However, we have a few new promises to bank on. Like this, like John said in, in John 6, 37, the, the bread chapter. But he said this, The one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. You go to him, he will never cast you out. In other words, if you cry out, he is willing. He is always willing. You will find compassion. You will find his touch will find cleansing. This is what you must do. Learn from this leper, if you haven't already, how to trade places with Jesus. I pray you do this today. You cry out to him. And for those who have, smile. Because what has been done for you, that the joy that this leper had should be yours. The thankfulness and the excitement the life of gratitude that he went on to live surely should be yours. Only there's one final last key difference. There's a difference here. Is that unlike the leper, you're no longer commanded to keep silent. That's over. So tell people. As Jesus cleans you, as you come to new life, let that amazement and joy and thankfulness just overflow. You, you, I can't keep quiet. I've got to tell someone. I've got to share this good news. Tell people, look, I was lost. But now I'm found. I was dead. But now I'm alive. I was unclean. But now I'm clean. And, and you can be too. Here's how. So I pray you spread that word and see others around you also trade places with Jesus.
Lord in heaven, like this leper, all we can do is now express our gratitude and our thanks. We can't, we can't pay this back, what you have done for us through your son. There is no way we can repay the debt that has been paid for us, our own debt, and what has been done in exchange. We can't. All we can do, the very least we can do, but is also the most we can, is to express our thankfulness, our gratitude, and live lives of gratitude as well, offering up our entire selves on the altar as living sacrifices to the God who has done this for us. You sent your son to literally trade places with us. He took our sin, our guilt, our shame, all of it upon himself and in in exchange gave us his perfect, holy, sinless, spotless righteousness And can this be true? It is our only hope. We know that. It is our hope. And we thank you, Lord. I pray all of us here leave today with with a smile, with a gratitude. For any who have not been humbled, do that, Lord. Bring them low. Show them their sin like the leper, and may they cry out and you save them. But for the rest, may we just thank you and leave this Thanksgiving season with a, a real thankfulness for what has been done for us. We were unclean, but Jesus came, touched us, traded places with us, and made us clean. So we thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen.